Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring and back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains, where there ain't no hoss. Like the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, what's going on? Oh, geez, man, great. Great to be back. Uh, feels like it's been a long time since we did one of these, man. Yeah, what were you thinking, Ron? 230 episodes, you feel like you need to take a week off. W- what is that all about? Gee, man, I don't know. <laughs> Can't imagine that, right? Uh, I hope it's, I hope it's uh, not going to be another 230 before I take another one off. Uh, listen, uh, I can't believe you've been, literally... 230 episodes, you've never missed a week, and here we are on episode number 231. So so what happened last week? What 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 did you do? Oh, geez, man. Uh, I just uh, really uh, I got some spare time. I, got, I went to the gym a couple of extra times. Uh, uh, I did some crazy things like that that, uh, that I haven't done in a while, and uh, <laughs> but it was really nice. Uh, I enjoyed a little bit of a break, and well, a couple of days ago, I guess just after the first of the year, we got this big snow. And, uh, I was, I thought, I thought I saw it coming through. So you got some of that. Oh wow, Dave! Man, <laughs> unbelievable, man. I mean, uh, I've seen snows before, uh-huh. but, uh, never up in the mountains like this, and <laughs> it's just wow. I, I, it was just freaky beautiful. Man, did, uh, did I've it never make seen you... anything like it, man. Did it make you want to get out and ride around? Well, I haven't been out and rode around yet, but I'm thinking about doing a little bit of that today, just to, <laughs> just to see kind of what it looked like. It's been on the ground here for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, there's so many different types of trees here that yeah, uh, yeah. that have all been uh, covered in snow and it just—it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, beautiful. you and of course you—you're used to it. And you've seen the leaves change colors as we as we've been through the year, and so now when it snows, it's an entirely different look for everything that you see. Absolutely, I mean it's just unbelievable. It's like uh, it's like a true winter wonderland, man. Uh, it's <laughs> like uh, really picturesque. That's uh, awesome. I'm gonna put one. I'm I'm, I'm thinking oh. about putting a picture of a uh, of one of those shots, uh, maybe on. On my social media sites today, so fans uh, can get an idea of of what the Smoky Mountains looks like uh, covered in snow. Hey, do that. I think that'd be cool. All you need is a scarf, stud. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> All right, I, so. <laughs> I need myself a, a pretty big coat, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, you may want something like that. All right, so listen, it's been a couple of weeks, so I think we've got a pretty big task as we head into episode number 231, and you haven't taken an ep- uh, a, a break in 230 weeks until this last couple of weeks. So we, the task is, Stud, we got to get you over. Oh, geez, man. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm, I forgot how to do this, maybe. <laughs> I'm going I'm to do yeah. Dusty Rhodes. I got to get you. You got to go. You got to go get over. You gotta yeah, go I got to get over. You got to get go, go get over, Stud. Yeah, right. yeah, that's for sure. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think I still got the hang of it. You know, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to this one, Dave, because uh, we're going to change our format a little bit. We're we're going into a period of time that's totally different than anything we've done. That's you know? awesome. 
So uh, that's kind of what our focus is going to be on today. All right. Hey, let's get going. And listen, we hope everybody's had a great Christmas and New Year's. And of course, we're beginning Southeastern's next year, literally, as far as the timeline goes. It opened with a huge card, January 1st, 1978, exactly 44 years and four days before the release of this stud cast. It was Knoxville's first event of that year on New Year's Day, of course, in the Coliseum at three o'clock in the afternoon. So how did it feel, Stud, on that day, 44 years ago? Well, it was actually, it was very exciting, Dave. Obviously, uh, you know, we'd been doing some big crowds and we're in the Coliseum. We'd been out of there for a few weeks at the end of 77. And, uh, you know, and, and we got a huge card for this one, man. And, uh, and we're going to have a massive crowd that day. Uh, and the Knoxville fans are going to all be celebrating the new year. Uh, I love those holiday events, which, uh, you know, it's just a totally different feel of the crowd. And Southeastern is expanding, man, in this time frame for the first time in its history. And uh, soon there's going to be a second Southeastern Territory in Pensacola, Florida, on the Gulf of Mexico, about 500 miles south of Knoxville, man. All right, so listen, I know you had been searching throughout most of 77 for some place to go to take this incredible product that you had really put on the map in Knoxville to expand your business, to get out there. So I can only imagine what you were anticipating for 1978. I know you were... Man, you had to be pretty bouncing off the walls, pretty excited about what might come. Oh, man. Uh, you know, I was on cloud nine, man. Uh, some of the wrestlers on this new 1978 New Year's Day, New Year's Day Knoxville card are going to be headed south with me, man. Uh, in two months, we're going to be bringing southeastern wrestling to a totally different part of the country <laughs> uh, within two months of the of this match right here. So, uh it was really an exciting time. All right, so speaking of doing something different, Ron, that's exactly what we're going to be doing here today. Building a tremendous YouTube channel called Southeastern Rewind that is absolutely on fire. So are you happy with what's happening there? Tell us tell us what's going on. Oh, yeah, man. Everything is great there, Dave, uh, for sure. The Continental TV shows, they've become extremely popular. And the USA TV shows as well, uh, uh, we had some real records. We set some real records last week. Uh, in the first day alone of the USA uh, show number nine, uh, we did more than a thousand views in that day alone. So you know we're getting uh, we're getting uh, quite a bit of activity there on the site, man. And people are really beginning to get into these TV shows, and both of those television programs. We're top notch, man. I mean, uh, and they were filled with great wrestling talent and angles. And anyone that could tell you by simply listening to those things uh, and just uh, enjoying how loud and how extremely those fans were into all those TV shows, it's pretty darn amazing. Uh, the USA TV shows are soon going to come to an end. Because we only did 25 of those shows were produced in 1988. Mm -hmm. I had sold Southeastern Wrestling, the main part of the territory, uh, in the fall of 1987. And uh, so I made 28 shows with uh, in the Knoxville area in 1988. The last one's going to end with this great angle. It's going to involve me. I'm finally going to end up in the ring on the last television show, which is about another five shows away. Mm -hmm. And uh, while wow, that one has a huge bang for the fans at the end of it. So uh, don't be upset, though. Uh, we're we're going to finally begin. Uh, all those fans out there listening, uh, you know, we're finally going to be start bringing you some of those original Southeastern Pensacola TV shows from the early 1980s. And we're going to go far back as the shows uh, that we can find. Mm -hmm. um, we're still searching for other shows and we're finding a lot of them. Uh, but uh, back in those days, those shows showcased some of the best wrestlers in history, man. And for years to come, we're going to be adding these new TV shows. Uh, every new stud cast is on there, as well as my stud stories that cover all different types of subjects. Historical ones that describe some of my matches with 11 NWA world champions in my career. And uh, other stud stories are about my true life and my history. Hmm. I was just thinking maybe Tony Basilio 
was the guy who was the first one to say, you are the storyteller. Listen, you told some stories. You told me some stories on my back porch here or on on your deck down in St. Petersburg. So your storytelling ability is absolutely legendary. And I'm, I miss, uh, I, I never, I if I miss one of those stud story episodes, it's definitely one that I always try to make up because there's so much historical content on there now. How, I mean, how many you got on? Is it 13 or 14 now? I think we're, yeah, we're around that 14 number, uh, you know, and, it, and uh, yeah. we're trying to put about two a week on there. Yeah. Uh, different subject matter. So, yeah, it, we continue to grow there, man. Yeah. And as we're heading that way, I can only imagine what Southeastern Rewind is going to be like years from now. So, fans, if you have not already subscribed, do it now. It's going to be a great decision into a brand new year. Go to YouTube, find Southeastern Rewind, subscribe, ring the bell icon. When you do, we'll ring your bell every time something new is placed on Southeastern Rewind. All right, that's an awesome deal. So where are we riding on this first stud cast in 2022, all about 1978? Well, obviously, it's a brand new year, Dave, uh, 1978. And gosh, that was an extremely unique year for for me, uh, the busiest man uh, in probably the history, my history in the sport as of this time frame. And it was the only time in my wrestling career where I was running one territory and developing another one at the same time. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's wearing two hats at once. And, uh, <laughs> gosh, man, uh, it was, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a ball of fire this year in 1978. And we're going to be focusing on two different territories. A lot of these stud casts this year. Uh, one of them obviously is the Southeastern Knoxville territory, which was an established territory. And it had become, uh, what many considered the best small territory in the world. And the other one, Southeastern Pensacola, was just beginning from scratch when this program uh, that we're doing today and uh, this first week in 1978, everything had yet to be done for Southeastern Pensacola, who I had to set up TV stations. They weren't all of them even there or set up at that point. Uh, I was contracting, creating relationships with the major buildings that I was going to be doing business with developing TV programs similar to the Southeastern Knoxville's great program, handpicking the commentators for that show, handpicking the first crew of wrestlers, the initial stars, who are going to make an impact on fans that had never seen Southeastern before. And uh, so much more, man. So I'm going to be doing something totally different this year with our training, today's training segments in particular, at least for the first couple of months. Hmm. We're still going to train fans on each of them, like we have been. Mm -hmm. But this new territory is going to allow us to really dig deep into how territories were built from the ground up. Hmm. Uh, we've never had the chance to do that and to stick with the same subject matter. So I'm going to try to be the mentor to the fans out there, basically. I'm going to take them on a ride, man, with me each week uh, on today's trainings and uh, let them discover with me how to build, how I built my second wrestling territory. And it was done from January 1st, 1978, until the summer of that year. That's when Southeastern Pensacola Territory became profitable. Hmm. All right. So uh, I think this is really going to be fun, Ron. You're actually going to be taking us on a ride through the entire development of Southeastern Pensacola, just as if we were like part owners in the situation. So uh, maybe we're the flies on the wall. So kind of like your brother, Robert. Uh, Roy Lee Welch, Jimmy Golden, Bob Armstrong. Uh, this is really going to be cool. Well, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to treat fans here uh, in this in this part of the of the year uh, like uh, you know that uh, they are part of family and they are part of my family. I mean, you know, people been following me here and uh, kind of become great friends with lots of them, and and uh, this is a it's a really uh, it's more than just a podcast. It's a lot more than that to me, and uh, this is going to give me give me the opportunity, man, uh, to teach uh, my Studcast fans how something was done, uh, something like building a wrestling territory, mm. from the purchase of it to the profitability, mm -hmm. till it started making money, and uh, I'm going to talk about all the trials and tribulations along the way too, man. Oh, you had bumps in the road. 
<laughs> what? Oh, boy. What? All right, so it sounds to me like the Studcasts for 1978 are really going to be even better than the 230 Studcasts, if that's possible, that you've already done. All right, I am saddled up and ready for the wrestling education of a lifetime. So where are we going to begin this whole thing? Well, we're going to start it with the first episode of today's training. Uh, from the first week in 1978, uh, it's going to begin with the first step in any new business. Uh, we're going to set up the company today financially and properly uh, where it made sense uh, from the very beginning. Uh, and I think it was an extremely important part of uh, building a business is, uh, is how you set it up from the very beginning. So we're going to begin today by filing for a subchapter S corporation in the state of Florida. Okay. Whatever you just said. Okay. All right. But first why Florida and wasn't Gulf coast wrestling set up in the state of Alabama already? Oh uh, yes, it was uh, actually my dad went there in 1954 mobile, Alabama. That was the home mm -hmm. of Gulf coast wrestling. And, uh, uh, I'm going to change it a little bit, you know, and, uh, and there were, there were reasons, uh, you know, uh, why I picked Florida, uh, rather than the state of Alabama. Actually, there's three reasons, Dave. And, uh, and, uh, the first one is because, uh, it was one of the most beautiful beaches in the world in Pensacola, Florida, you know, and, and I was going to use that beach, man, to draw great wrestlers to southeastern Pensacola, <laughs> just like those wrestlers were going to draw the fans when they got there. You know, mm. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, I, I really loved that beach from the time I went there. Uh, I couldn't figure out when I got there why my dad had gone 50 miles further to the west in Mobile, Alabama, where the water still murky and dirty brown when he could have gone 50 miles east to pensacola and been on that beautiful beach you know so uh i decided when i went there I, mobile was not going to be the place i was going to make my home mm -hmm. and i didn't think any other wrestlers were going to want to do that either but boy pensacola was it's it sucked them in there that's a good way of putting it i guess i mean guys came there and they loved it okay so stud First, what did that have to do with where the corporation was actually established? Well, now, you know, Dave, oddly enough, it, it had pretty much everything to do with it. Um, my other Southeastern Corporation, obviously, was set up in Tennessee, still up there and operating. The uh, Knoxville area was one of the most desirable places in America to live, man. It had beautiful mountains. It had these fantastic, pristine lakes everywhere, man. It drew wrestlers to it like they were going to draw fans to the arenas, man. Uh, and as time went on, lots of those wrestlers had their boats on those lakes, man. And they they really got into it. They bought boats. Uh, they they learned that to uh, really take advantage of how beautiful that part of the country was. So the Southeastern Wrestling Company had a reputation in Knoxville for short trips, uh, Plus, being able to live in a gorgeous part of the country, the talent we had developed in Knoxville, they came from far, far more than uh, than just the amount of money they were making. Uh, many of those stars were there for the lifestyle as much as the money. Mm -hmm. They were there because of what that part of the country had to offer, man. The, the perks were so good in some cases, uh, they were worth more than the money. I mean, you know, they guys got to where they 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 loved to ride those boats and then be on those boats, uh, and they were there a lot because they were not in a road somewhere traveling. Mm -hmm. So Pensacola had just as much to offer, if not more. I mean, there you had in Pensacola the crystal clear Gulf of Mexico waters, and if you had a boat, you could stick it in those waters, and wow, it was like it was better than being on the lakes, you know. And uh, you had a beautiful beach to lay in the sun on. So I realized with what had happened in Knoxville that there was much more to offer wrestlers than just big money, man. <laughs> and you know the other thing, chicks dig the beach. <laughs> so I've heard. All right, and listen, I got to tell you, this reminds me of Knoxville because Pensacola is a terrific location when you look at what's around. Okay, maybe you don't want to live in Mobile, but Mobile's still a great market. Or not far from Pensacola is Panama City. Not far from there is Tallahassee. So, and everything, even 
once you even further west into Mississippi, Biloxi, you had to, and I don't know about territory, but it's a good central location to a lot of things. So really, it makes good sense to me. So I can see, Stud, what you're talking about. So what was the second reason for incorporating in Florida? Well, Pensacola's wrestling also had the short trips, just as Knoxville did. And, you know, adding cities to that territory uh, from the Gulf of Mexico uh, to the Knoxville territory uh, was good. It was a good idea. But it wasn't a good idea if, if it's going to be meant for the guys to be making those 1,000-mile trips, 500 there and 500 back on a regular basis. So I realized right off the bat that I was going to destroy that short trip territory concept that Knoxville had created. And if I had decided to do that, we would have become what so many other large territories were in wrestling. Uh, we were going to have a life in a car. And, uh, and I didn't want our wrestlers to be just one more group of road-weary travelers like so many big territories guys were. You know, they were just on the road all the time. They didn't get to enjoy being home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them didn't have a beautiful place like Pensacola or Knoxville to be home to as well. So, so that's why I decided to split the two territories. And by splitting the two territories, I kind of preserved that unique short trip reputation and it set up Pensacola for success, just as that had done for Knoxville. Okay, so you were really putting a lot of thought in into this whole situation as you were putting this thing together. So what was the, the third reason, obviously, for incorporating Florida and then living there also? Well, Ava, do, do you know how many of the 50 states in America – does not have a state income. <laughs> Listen, I was I was going to say which one. Okay, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So basically, you know, only eight out of 50 states in America don't have a state income tax. Wait a minute. Wrestlers are that smart? Holy. I did, I did not say that out loud. Listen, you're, you guys were covering all the bases, stud. So, I, I mean... Some of the stuff I was aware of, but some not. All right, but what about Tennessee and Florida? Are they amongst those eight states? Well, that, that just happened to be, man. Pretty amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, so every wrestler and every person involved in the company, uh, a lot of them weren't going to be aware of it. But by gosh, when it came time to pay your taxes, <laughs> they were going to go, Ron, uh, you are a pretty smart dude. <laughs> you know, so uh, – yeah. So, you know, it, that was my third reason. And, you know, uh, it uh, every wrestler and every person involved in the company loved it, man, uh, when it came tax time. God dang. They didn't know you were thinking about everybody in that situation. All right. So I can see these new 2022 Today's Trainings about how southeastern Pensacola in 1978 was built. I can see that it's going to be filled with some really fascinating facts like what we've been talking about right here today. So it's going to be extremely educational for all of our Studcast listeners. I think it's exciting that, and I know they're excited about being tuned in for something like this. So what will be in today's training subject matter in next week's, next week's Studcast? This was good, really good stuff this week. Well, next week's today's training, man, we're going to take it to another level, man. Uh, we're, we're going to, discuss the specifics of the sale of Gulf Coast Wrestling to southeastern Pensacola. Mm -hmm. We're going to actually talk about the actual amount of money I paid for, uh, the gross dollar amount. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the deal itself and exactly how it was that money was going to be paid uh, during the course of the deal. <laughs> I love this stuff, Stud. All right, I can't wait to hear how much you paid for southeastern Pensacola. Are you actually going to reveal that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, now we're going right. to break it down for everybody. Oh, come on. You know how some people don't want to talk about that money. All right. But just like I said <laughs> earlier, this is going to be a lot of fun. So wh where, where are we riding to now? What's going on? Well, it's time to focus on the Knoxville card, obviously. I mean, we're going to be spending most of our time still with Knoxville, uh, but we're going to be talking some Pensacola and Southeastern in that area every program from here on. And uh, so we're going to right now focus on Knoxville and that great card on New Year's Day, January 1st, 1978, in the Coliseum. It was the third annual 20-man 
two ring, triple chance, battle royal with $10,000 to the winners. Uh, also, as a Southeastern Championship match on that card, champion Mongolian Stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr. against Jola Duke. There was a Southeastern Tag Championship return match on that card with the champions Don Carson and the Assassin managed by Ron Wright against Robert Fuller and Thunderbolt Patterson. There were five more matches uh, on that card as well. It was an all-time Southeastern record number of wrestlers so far. Uh, on this card, 23 total guys on this card. So there were 20 men in the battle royal. Um, and here's the 20 men in that royal. Uh, Robert Fuller, Thunderbolt Patterson, Don Carson, the Assassin, Ron Wright, the Samoans, T.O. and Reno Tafuli, the famous Sheik, the, the, the <laughs> one from Ohio, uh -huh. uh, Tony Charles, Jimmy Golden, Ricky Gibson, Roy Lee Welch, Ronnie Garvin, David Schultz, Mike Stallings, Jim Brunzel from the AWA, yeah. Byron Kidd, Terry Sawyer, Frankie Lane, and Big Jim Wilson. 20. Wow. That's a that's a hell of a lineup. All right, so I noticed you called Mr. Knoxville by his real name, Ronnie Garvin. And listen, I know uh, building up to it, it's been about clarification up to now to so everybody knew in the storyline. That's who it, But was there another reason for that? Well, this was his first Southeastern match since he got that win over Bob Orton Jr. Uh, mm -hmm. in their second cage match, which was two weeks prior to this event on December 16th. He had gone home to Canada for two weeks, and uh, he had beaten Bob Orton Jr. in their second cage match. Uh, it wasn't a loser-leave-town match, but Orton Jr. lost the cage match, and then he was carried from the ring, and he never wrestled again. For a long, long time, he did come back to Southeastern, but it was years before he came back. And uh, so in, in Ronnie's opinion, with his resounding victory in the cage and the fact that he was really only wearing the mask because Orton had beaten him in a loser-leave town match, that was about nine months earlier, uh, he felt like it gave him the right to go back to being Ronnie Garvin again. So <laughs> on the TV show, there was to to promote this card, which is the day before the card. It's the day Ronnie came back from vacation. He got on TV without saying anything about what he intended to do. And, uh, and he sat right there with Les Thatcher and he took his mask off and said, uh, I'll never wear this again. Whoa. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he explained his reason for it that, you know, Bob Wharton Jr. is the reason I wore it and I had to wear it. And he's no longer here because I I, I darn near killed him, and, uh, you know. And he says, uh, "I'm going back to being Ronnie Garvin," so, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, so uh, he I guess he felt like it gave him a reason to go back to being Ronnie Garvin. And uh, so uh, on we, the TV show, uh, after he removed his mask and he and he had his little say, uh, uh, you know, I could see his thinking in a way. And and after all. Uh, who the hell was going to tell Ronnie Garvin no? <laughs> All right, so, and listen, Ronnie Garvin, it's amazing to hear this story because at one point, Ronnie Garvin really didn't, didn't talk on camera at all because his accent was so strong and nobody could understand him. And, right. I mean, it's amazing where where he is now, and every bit of that is is really with you. So, so that's just cool. So the old Ronnie Garvin is back, right? So uh, that, that's correct. You know, I mean, uh, but it pretty much had no choice about it, you know. So yeah, right. Ronnie Garvin was back, and uh, and and you're right, uh, Dave. Uh, you, you made a real good point there. I mean, you know, he had Big Bad John talking for him. Yeah, uh, he had yeah. other people uh, doing his talking, and and uh, Rob and I kept uh, just. Uh, you know, pushing him, pushing him and say, yeah. Ronnie, you don't need these guys. You can do it yourself. And uh, son of a gun, man, he now has all of that ability and uh, he realizes it. Yeah. And you and you and Robert were, of course, y'all were putting the whole program together at the time and, and, and calling the calling all the, the scenarios. And at one point he even left and you thought he may not come back, but he still comes back and he's still a huge part of what's happening. And I think that's really cool. So, listen, the list of wrestlers you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago was really a tremendous card when you're talking about 20 and of that calendar, cal caliber. There was there were quite a few guys on there that I had never heard of, though. 
Uh, is there a reason for that, or is that you're, you're introducing more folks to the market? What's going on there? Well, well, yeah, there was definitely a reason for it. And, uh, you know, because this was a huge battle royal, it, it gave me the opportunity to put more guys on the card. And a lot of those guys that I stuck on the card that day, put them into the battle royal specifically, they've been waiting for an opportunity to get into Southeastern wrestling. Uh, guys have been calling me constantly and uh, trying to, you know, get this, get in because they they knew money was really good. The trips were really short. And uh, guys that a lot of these guys I'd never even seen wrestle. So uh, it also <laughs> offered me a look at these guys. Uh, we're not just an opportunity to maybe work in southeastern Knoxville, but also now there was an opportunity for some of them to work in southeastern Pensacola. That's going to be opening basically the first week of March in 1978. And to me, one of the funny things that you've talked about over time is how wrestlers tend to talk. So when the good territory is has really got it going on like you did in Knoxville, and now it's about to happen south of there on the crystal white sands of Pensacola. So that, yeah, so word kind of gets around. Yeah, you know, there's a great old story about wrestlers, man. Uh, you know, they say that uh, wrestlers, you said something about wrestlers talking all the time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the wrestlers always used to say, uh, you know, uh, you t- you tell you telephone, you telegraph, or you tell a wrestler. <laughs> All right, so who are some of the guys that you had never seen before that were that was not going, and who, if any, was on the card that would end up going to Pensacola? Well, that's a great question, you know, because uh, there there's about five of them on this card that uh, that aren't going to go any anywhere. Uh, and uh, Jim Brunzel, uh, who was out of Vern Gagne's AWA Minnesota Territory, was a really young guy just getting started. And uh, he wasn't going because he's going to uh, pretty quickly after this event, uh, he's going to start becoming a star in Vern's territory because he and Brian Blair are going to form one of the great tag teams of all time up there in that part of the country called the Killer Bees. So Jim Brunzel's out. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to be going to Pensacola. Mm-hmm. Uh, Byron Kidd, Terry Sawyer, Frankie Lane, and Big Jim Wilson are four more that uh, I really got a chance to see that day. I didn't know anything about them. Uh, wasn't really impressed, and then they weren't going to be going. Uh, but there was three of them on this card that was going to be going, and uh, one of those was Roy Lee Welch. And uh, he's not only going to be going as a wrestler, but he's involved in the Southeastern Pensacola Partnership. And uh, he's not only going to be a wrestler, but he's going to be doing a whole lot of other important things that take uh, that uh, have to take place to run a good, solid wrestling business. Uh, Mike Stallings, who's on this card, had already paid his dues, man. He had already gotten over in Knoxville in his previous run there. He hadn't been there for quite a few months before this battle roar. Uh, he'd been gone for a while, but by gosh, I looked at his match. I watched his, 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 his watched him in the ring. He returned in great shape, and he really impressed me with how much he was still over with the Knoxville fans. It was mm-hmm. like he had never left. Mm-hmm. Uh, that told me a lot about Mike Stallings. And then the third one that's going to be going was uh, and my grandfather's brother, Herb Welch, had trained him, and uh, he was on the wrestler. He was a he was one of those guys that was definitely going south to Pensacola, but he liked Mike Stallings. He didn't know it yet. I didn't tell him that day. Hmm. I didn't tell him for uh, quite a few weeks afterward. Uh, but uh, that guy that uh, got trained by my uh, grandfather's brother Herb was David Schultz. Whoa, okay. And, and he was working mostly out of Memphis at this point, a uh, young kid, but uh, he was steadily improving, and he was already a hard worker in the ring. And by God, he was destined for a big future. I could tell that. Uh, oh, no doubt. What was this like as far as you telling, releasing the information to the individuals who thought, God, I hope I'm on that. I hope I'm on this list to go to Pensacola. Was it like back in the day? Did I make the team? Did I make the cheerleading squad? You have to go check the list uh, that was on the locker room door or something. What was it like to tell these folks? Oh, you know, it was it was it was great, you know, and I and I really um it was one of the great parts of owning a company and being in charge and uh, being able to pick who you wanted to. Uh, I felt uh, these three guys really deserved it, all three of them. Yeah. 
and, yeah. uh, and yeah. we're going to slowly through this process uh, as we're going to pick up and talk some about southeastern uh, uh, Pensacola. In every one of these shows, we're going to be adding new new uh, new new wrestlers to this list. Yeah. So you know, uh, this is the first three that are going to be going to Pensacola. Did you have Did you have a time and occasion? Where you had wrestlers who came to you that said, "Hey, Ron, can I can I get on the list? Can I be part of the Pensacola thing?" And you had to tell them no. Oh gosh, man, consistently and constantly, you know. I mean, uh, guys, uh, they they knew you were going to have to get talent. They knew you weren't going to take all your Knoxville people. Those yeah. guys were over. You were going to probably uh, start with new people. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so yeah, they were all coming and asking Ron, uh, would you consider me? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, but uh, I was very picky about this first group because that was going to be people's first impression of Southeastern, that first group of wrestlers that went in there. And mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it's kind of like on the very first show. Uh, I know people have seen this interview that I did with Charlie Platt, nine minutes, 10 minutes long. The first, my first impression for fans in Pensacola and in the Southeast down there. Uh, it's, it's a, you want to make that type of impression because uh, it's going to make all the difference of whether you're going to be successful or you may shut that territory down and say, we couldn't build it. Are you talking about the sound bites that we use on your actual opener? There you go. Oh yeah. Okay. God, that's legendary. <laughs> that, that, wow. That, that, <laughs> that, that type of interview it was so important that everybody in your crew make that type of impression Yeah, uh, to be able to ensure success, man, at the box office. I got my feet propped up on the desk. You got over that day. You got over. That's good. You got over. All right. And, and listen, Charlie Platt got over too. I, I tell you what, this is a good place for a break. Let's do that. If I'm correct, we should be coming back with the TV show of Saturday, December 31st, 1977 that promoted this incredible card the following day. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. All right. And while we're at it, while we take the break, you've got time. Head over to Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe. Ring the bell to get reminders. We'll ring the bell when anything hits on Southeastern Rewind to make sure you know it's there and you can check it out. And be sure to tell your friends about Southeastern Rewind. All right. Hey, the stud is back. And we continue in a moment right here. YouTube's Southeastern Rewind is on fire. Continental TV shows are setting records every time a new one is released. Since Bob Armstrong lost a loser leaves match, his three sons are left to fight alone for their family. Number 10, released originally in the summer of 1985, comes to life again. Thursday, January 6th of 2022. It continues their road to revenge with the Fuller family and Jimmy Golden. Sunday, January 9th, 2022, features another USA TV release, episode number 21. Scott Armstrong had won the World Junior title from Nelson Royal, and the Riches are still waging war with the RPMs, along with the ever-popular Bullet. Don't miss these great TVs from the past. Plus, stud story number 13 about the stud's father's Easter rodeo of 1958. And stud story number 14, the rodeo continues on Saturday, January 8th, where everything that could go wrong did. Subscribe now on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Ring the bell and don't miss a minute of the best old school wrestling on YouTube. Welcome back once again. It's David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, episode number 231. The Stud is back, y'all, after a little vacation time. Welcome back, Stud. Thank you. I'm sure glad to be here, my man. All right, so we took a break right there on the Studcast like we do every week. You didn't get, you didn't take a nap or anything, did you? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I tried my best to stay awake during this. I, I bet you did last week, though. All right, all right, Ron. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I took several of them. Yeah, I bet you did. How did the TV show... On New Year's Eve, promote that two-ring battle royal the next afternoon in the Coliseum. That Listen, that's cool. That's really huge. You got two rings side-by-side, side, right? Oh, yeah. 20-by-20 okay. 20, 20 20 rings. All right, get, two yeah. of them big monster rings. Yeah, what's the setup on that? Well, you know, uh, we had a small card on the, on the Christmas afternoon show in Chilhowee Park six days before this TV was done. 
And uh, we intentionally booked it that way because it was in the small Jacobs building at the park. And uh, some wrestlers wanted to go home for Christmas anyway, which was uh, normally the case. And, uh, and I didn't mind uh, having a small card because of the building wouldn't hold a lot of people. And the building sold out anyway. So it was also time to, to turn our talent uh, uh, over. And uh, that's what happened in most territories around the country. Uh, first of the year, every year, a lot of wrestlers change sites. And, and uh, for whatever reason, so many re different reasons. But uh, wrestlers like to move at the first of the year. Hmm. So new talent's going to be arriving on January 1st afternoon card. Uh, and uh, some of the old talent is going to be gone from that card. And two of those older talents that were strong heels uh, are gone. Uh, in particular, Bob Orton Jr. And uh, so is the pro, Doug Gilbert, who has had a long run for Southeastern, done a great job. They're gone. So the fact the TV was the day before the Coliseum card worked out well for me because I was able to get several of those guys on the New Year's Day card to come in a little bit early. So I wanted to put them on TV, have a look at them, right? And, uh, and that fact led me to the book, a very unusual battle royal on TV. And uh, that battle royal is going to point, obviously, toward the much bigger two-ring royal the next afternoon. So a battle royal on TV, well, you know, a lot of people say that's a horrible idea. Nobody did it. Well, you know, <laughs> just because people weren't doing it back in the day doesn't mean it wasn't a good idea. In fact, it was a great way to promote the next day's card. And it also gave fans at home a taste of what a two-ring battle royal might look like when they saw a single-ring royal and all the things that happened in it. Think about what's going to happen with two rings and twice as many wrestlers in it. Oh, no doubt. So I, to me, I think it's a great idea. If you, if you, and putting it there on TV, it gets the fans more excited. Fans really loved it. So you gave, you gave the TV audience something really special in a, in a special time of year at that. Well, why not? You know, I'm, and, I, and I even took it a little bit further. I even uh, thought about it before the week before, and I had to list to announce on the battle that this battle royal was going to be the main event on the next TV. Whoa. So uh, Saturday before Christmas uh, Day card, uh, he's announcing the next uh, Saturday. Be sure and join us because we're going to have a battle royal on TV. So this TV show on December 31st, 1977, the last TV of the year, was designed specifically to build interest in the two-ring battle royal the next day in the Coliseum. So were you, like, looking for an opportunity to sell tickets there, Stud? <laughs> <laughs> well, is, you don't want to miss those. I couldn't resist that. <laughs> you know, heck yeah, I'm looking to sell tickets. You better believe it, you know. So, you know, and, and like I just mentioned, there were a lot of territories in the world that had never, ever had a battle royal on their television. And it just it didn't just sell tickets to the next day's event for me. It grew my TV audience and it got my company. Uh, you know, that's how we got to be in that 80 share range and that Arbitron and Nielsen Good rating books God. because we were doing things nobody <laughs> else ever did on television. You know, so those kind of numbers, those uh, tickets, uh, you know, those kind of uh that audience and that sold tickets forever, man. And it also got you on just about any TV station in the country, man. <laughs> so bear in mind, Dave, I was now going <laughs> to be out there trying to get on the best TV stations in another part of the country. I wasn't familiar with down there around Pensacola along the Gulf coast. And, uh, well, I'm going to take this television show that we made. This kind of, that has got a battle royal on it. Uh, I'm going to take it right south with me, man, to show right. these people these TV stations. Oh, no doubt. So so what all did you have on that last Southeastern TV of 1977? Well, besides that battle royal, man, I had the Mongolian Stomper defending his Southeastern championship belt, managed by gorgeous George Jr. Uh, against a man of very great little star, Ricky Gibson, man. I knew they were going to tear the house down. Then I had another match on there with Don Carson, the assassin, the tag champion, Southeastern belts, managed by Ron Wright against Tony Charles and Roy Lee Welch. Another I knew would be a spectacular match. 
So uh, then I really took it to the next step. I, I had an entire personality profile done outside the studio. It was recorded in the Knoxville Coliseum the morning of the TV show. So it began with Liz uh, outside, uh, you know, those those two 20 by 20 foot rings. Uh, they were sitting side by side in that empty Coliseum. I shot it with two cameras, one down there with him at ringside and another shooting from up above to show what those two rings look like and all those empty ringside seats just setting the stage, man, for what was about to happen the next day. So Les explained in depth as he walked around both the rings how a two-ring triple chance battle royal worked. And that was important because it was a totally different type of battle royal. It needed to be explained properly. And it went something like this, you know, uh, Les started out with everyone starts in ring one. He's standing in ring one. He goes, uh, this is ring one. Everybody, all of them, all 20 are going to be in ring one. And uh, as they're eliminated from this ring, they have to be thrown into that ring. He's pointing at the second ring that's right next to the one he's standing in. And then he goes, when two men are left in this ring, this ring is done. Those two stay in the ring. And uh, then the battle royal continues in the second ring. And then he crawls through the ropes into the second ring. And he continues to explain it, that now this ring is where all the action is. And most of the men are in here. And to be eliminated here, they only have to be thrown out of this ring, not into any other, back into the first ring, but just out of this ring on any of the three sides. And uh, they are eliminated. And when it's just two guys left in the second ring, then they're going to bring uh, these two guys into ring one, and the winners of that tag match between the four of them is going to split the $10,000 money. Then wow. Les interviewed Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, who had just returned that day, and Joe LaDuke in the ring one, and uh, got their thoughts and strategy for this unique kind of event. And when he finished with them, he crawled in the ring too, and there's Ronnie Garvin, Don Carson, the assassin, and Ron Wright, and they tell their ideas and their and their game plan for winning this ten thousand dollars. So the profile went more than ten minutes, but wow, it was so captivating, man! It seemed like it took half that long when watched back. It was like I thought, man, this is going to be long, but wow, it was extremely interesting, uh, and it, not just for the fans, but for those with little wrestling knowledge. It was going to be perfect for TV station management that had very little wrestling experience. They're going to hear this. They're going to see those two rings. They're going to see that empty building. And then to really <laughs> cap it off, uh, to really give them the impression of how big wrestling was uh, when they watched this program, we opened this segment with last year's two-ring battle royal, uh, 20 seconds of it live with, 5,000 plus people in the building. Holy cow. All right. So I'm kind of bright a little bit, but a light bulb went off because I, I see what's happening here. Your Southeastern Pensacola TV strategy is underway. And listen, you're PT Barnum in this case, because this TV show is going to be a demo tape for TV stations all along the Gulf coast. It's filled with stars, championship matches, and a unique event that is going to grab the attention immediately of even non-fans of, of any sport, but especially wrestling, like TV managers for some stations. It's going to grab their attention, and they're seeing numbers go up, and they're seeing dollar signs. <laughs> you get sharper, Dave, every week, man. I Let tell me you. I'm going to take a bow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> you know, I also made sure that this TV... Uh, just to add to it, Dave, I also made sure by talking to the uh, director, uh, <laughs> Bill Kincaid, I said, Bill, I want to have at least one split screen in this show. I want to have great instant replays on uh, all every match. I want to have show interviews done from both studios. And I want the three-sided set to be rotated and everyone to see it happen at least once in the show. So... The TV show finished with the 10-man battle royal that lasted through two segments of the show. The winner of the single uh, single ring battle royal got three grand, and it was presented to him in the ring at the end of the show. 
Wow. I mean, that's pretty cool and immediate payoff. So I'll bet that TV not only worked to sell tickets the next day in the Coliseum, Ron, but I'm pretty sure that it was even more effective in selling the Southeastern Pensacola TV show to TV stations also that you wanted to be on. So how did the matches on New Year's Day 1978 in Knoxville go? Well, Robert Fuller and uh, Thunderbolt Patterson, they won by disqualification, but obviously they couldn't win the belts in that way. They beat the Southeastern Tag Champions. They had their hands raised, but they didn't actually beat them. And uh, so the champions, uh, Don Carson and the assassin managed by Ron Wright, uh, held on to their belts. And mostly it was because of Ron Wright's interference that they did that. So Joel Duke and the Mongolian Stomper had a tremendous Southeastern Championship match that this one had to be stopped again, which was not unusual for the matches that these two had. Joel Duke came back in the Battle Royal, still bleeding from his title match. But neither the Stomper or Gorgeous George Jr., who were supposed to appear in the Battle Royal, came for the Battle Royal. So Joe LaDuke, being the man that he usually was, showed back up, even for the Royal, still bleeding from the match that he had had just prior to it. Hmm. Okay, so let's focus on one guy in particular. I noticed he was in the Battle Royal, Ron. I have to ask about the Sheik. You had wrestled for him in Detroit about two weeks before this Battle Royal, if I'm correct, just a few days after that Detroit match. You confirmed the deal with Lee Fields to buy Gulf Coast Wrestling. So how did it all come about? Well, yep, you're correct about it. Uh, I did go to Detroit on uh, December the 18th, 1977. uh, And I had scheduled that match to go there much earlier in the year when I first started talking about the Sheik, uh, his territory. And and I had the idea on this, uh, the 18th of uh, December, being able to sit down with Eddie Farhat, who, who is the actual Sheik's name, and trying to finalize the deal to buy Ohio. During the course of that night uh, and that discussion, I figured out really quickly that uh, there was no sale to be made there, that I couldn't do business with him. And, uh, but I invited him, and mm-hmm. I was already there anyway, and I had this battle war coming up in two weeks. Uh, I invited him uh, to come to Tennessee and wrestle on the Battle Royal for me in Knoxville. Huh. And uh, and I didn't expect him to accept it, but he jumped at it. And, you know, I think he'd heard a lot about Southeastern and about the territory, and he kind of probably wanted to come and see for himself what the hell's going on down there, <laughs> how, how they doing all that business down there. <laughs> right. You know, so so he only worked in the Battle Royal. And, uh, and he was a lot less recognizable to our fans than I anticipated. I, I thought I wanted to watch his introduction because I wanted to see if the fans knew who he was. And I, I got a lot less uh, recognition than I anticipated. In fact, he got a lot less uh, reaction than some of the other relative unknown five or six guys that were also in the Royal. Hmm. So I'm sure he was somewhat upset with the low level crowd reaction to his introduction, hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, and he, he, and he, he didn't, he didn't get the, uh, respect. I guess he thought he was going to get from the crowd and, uh, he didn't get it in the dressing room either. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not from the Southern crew that most of these wrestlers were, uh-huh. you know, they, they knew who the Sheik was, but, uh, they weren't impressed either. And, uh, you know, and oddly enough, I never saw Eddie Farhat, the Sheik, uh, ever again after that night and uh, that afternoon in Knoxville. Y'all, wait, y'all didn't bow down to the Sheik? Okay. Right. <laughs> no, so, no, no. That's, yeah, I, think, I think he kind of did the bowing mostly. Yeah, that's, and, and, to me, and, and I know because he was, he was unknown. But it, to me, that it sounds kind of unusual today because obviously, he, I mean, he's He's one of the premier names from way back when. All right, so so what happened in that huge battle royal? What went down? Well, as I said earlier, Joe LaDuke came to the ring for the royal, and he was still bleeding from his last match uh, that, that had uh, just ended a few minutes before the battle royal started. So he and Ronnie Garvin, who were basically lifetime enemies, really, uh, you know, both from that Montreal area, I don't know really what it was, all that heat between them was, but uh, uh, they really had problems. Uh, they ended up <laughs> as the last two wrestlers in ring one. 
you know, they're going to end up partners, basically, in the tag match to come. Mm -hmm. Don Carson, the assassin, ended up the last two guys in ring two. So so then uh, Carson and the assassin come into ring one. They announce uh, the participants. They announce that the winners are going to get $5,000 each check. Uh, And then, uh, you know, uh, the match got ready to start. Well, now, Joe LaDuke has already had his uh, match that Ronnie Garvin didn't have, an earlier match. And uh, and now he's bleeding. And when it came time to start the match, uh, Ronnie Garvin gets out on the floor and refuses to start. So he puts an already bleeding Joe LaDuke, who's now wrestled twice uh, in the ring to represent the, the, his team. <laughs> to try to get this ten thousand dollars, so uh, and then strangely enough, wouldn't would not though. I guess uh, people probably expected this from Ronnie Garvin at this point, but uh, John Duke got in trouble uh, pretty quickly in the match. He's in against Carson and, uh, and the Assassin, the tag team champions, and hmm. and they they beat him up pretty good, man. And uh, and then he came to Garvin, and Garvin jumped off the apron, refused to tag him. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, so you can imagine the fans, they're not too happy with what's going on here between Garvin and, and Joe LaDuke. Right. So uh, it, by late in this late in this match, I mean, and Joe just kept hanging in there because he it was all hard. He was just all hard, man. And he was bloody down to his waistband. And uh, finally, toward the end of this, uh, he makes a comeback by himself. Uh, against the two guys that he's been in there with the entire match. And he throws Carson out of the ring. He lays the assassin out with a big punch, and he covers him for the win. So his partner, uh, Garvin, decides to make his only move that he's made of the entire match. <laughs> so as the referee's counting out the assassin with uh, Joe LaDuke laying on top of him, Ronnie Garvin climbs up on the top rope and jumps off in LaDuke's back. No, he did not. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> well, you know, and the referee raised LaDuke's hand because he had already counted the assassin out, thank God, before Garvin jumped in LaDuke's back. So the ref raised LaDuke's hand, who was still laid out unconscious on the mat, and the crowd boy roared their approval, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, when he raised Garvin's hand, Boy, that building shook, man, from the booze from the crowd. It was like they hated him worse than ever. I mean, so, you know, the referee then went and got the two checks, and he gave Ronnie Garvin his $5,000 check. And then he went over to Joe LaDuke, who's still laying on the mat, and he bent over because, you know, everybody loved Joe LaDuke, man. And, uh, and he tried to help him to get set up, and he handed him the money. And when he did, and Ronnie Garvin kicked the referee in the back of the head. <laughs> and he took Jonah Duke's check. <laughs> and he left the ring with an army of police, man, escorting him to the dressing room. Yeah, that's probably for the best. All right. So that's crazy. So th- that had to make the fans absolutely, completely crazy. How did you, you had to be, it had to have been a killer night. How'd you do on attendance? Oh, geez, man. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think the, the name of this episode is 1978 started with a bang. And wow, it really did, man. Uh, it looked like uh, the Harley race crowd uh, and some of these big monster crowds. Uh, uh, 6,100 uh, was the announced attendance. It, it looked like it was more like 7,000. But, you know, uh, it was it was right up there with that uh, that that. Uh, Big world championship match between me and Harley that set the all-time record. Oh, no doubt. Okay, so it sounds like Southeastern success was really marching on. I think it is time. Yes, it is. It's time for the learning tree question today. This one comes from a very nice lady. Her name is Mary Latham. She asked, since you had been in the business for three years and had all kinds of figures and totals for those years, did you ever make predictions at the first of the year as to what the next year might produce for instance did you make any pre- predictions about 1978 early in that year and maybe uh did you make projections as to what you were what was going to happen yeah yeah projection or prediction you know i mean uh, that's a great question you mm-hmm. know uh miss latham uh, uh you, you're right about my keeping up with numbers 
you know, and, uh, and, and I, I guess almost every promoter probably did that, an owner of company, uh, especially if it's concerning his business. And especially uh, dealing with the end of the year and the totals for that year, you know, I, I kept those numbers all, always. And, and, I, and I think we just covered that in the number 230, Studcast episode 230 that kind of uh, gave you a final picture of what 1977 looked like. But I never had made any predictions or projections about what the upcoming year was going to do. And, and I certainly didn't have the, the guts to make one for this upcoming year of 1978. You know, maybe I might have been pretty gutsy and uh, took a shot at trying to say, you know, what I expected Southeastern Knoxville to do in early January 1978. Uh, you know, it might have been interesting and easier, you know, because I had three years of operation to make judgments from in Knoxville that had been in business for three years. I knew the size of all the buildings in every city, been to them many, many times. And then, you know, I might have basically made a, a, some kind of reasonable guess maybe uh, about uh, what kind of business I might be able to do that year. But making any kind of guess at all about the new company, Southeastern Pensacola, uh, that would absolutely make me look ridiculous, I'm sure, you mm. know, because mm. I have to be honest here, Dave, when I talk about this, and I'm almost uh, hesitant to, to be as, as real about this as, as the deal was, but I spent a total of four days there making a deal to buy it. Uh, I had seen only three buildings, the one in Dothan, the arena in Panama City, mm -hmm. and the building in Pensacola. Mm -hmm. I'd not even seen the building in Mobile, Alabama, or Montgomery, Alabama, the two largest cities in the territory. And uh, even more scary was the fact that, that I had not seen a live event at all. I was there in the last week before Christmas, and many territories closed their offices and ran nothing in that last week before Christmas because business was usually so terrible the week before Christmas, it wasn't worthwhile to do so. Hmm. So I saw three TV stations in those four days I spent down there on the Gulf Coast. Uh, and I saw them in the TVs in the cities in which I mentioned earlier. I was already there to see the stations. I went to see the buildings, obviously. And I met the management of each of those TVs. I did not meet the Montgomery TV people, nor see the station. And Mobile, Alabama, the largest city in the territory, had lost its TV station months earlier due to the bad ratings. Wow. So they didn't even have a TV. Are you kidding? <laughs> wow. So you were looking at purchasing a wrestling company, having never seen a live match anywhere there. You had not even seen the buildings in the largest two markets and the biggest city in the territory had no TV. <laughs> Good thinking, Rod. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, most people would have said, well, wow, you're an idiot. What did you buy it for? You know, so, uh, you know, basically you hit the nail on the head, Dave. You know, that was the picture on January 1st, 1978, of the future of southeastern Pensacola as I knew it. So uh, next week, uh, we're going to be doing our today's training on what amount uh, I'm going to be paying for the territory and how we're going to pay for it uh, for this new southeastern Pensacola wrestling company. Uh, and I got to thank you, Mary. It was a great question for your question today. And, and I think you may have opened the door to a pretty smelly little <laughs> smelly mess of mine as far as my due diligence <laughs> job I did researching Gulf Coast Wrestling. But the bottom line here is, and I got to stick with this, Dave, uh, well, what can we do with this company in 1978 and beyond? That's what's going to be the big question. And it's all laid out there. Just go ahead and finish the story now, stud. Go ahead. <laughs> all right. Listen, that's awesome. So what a great stud cast to begin 1978. Ron, you've got a, you got a lot of work to do on this. With this, this kind of subject matter week after week, it's going to be no doubt the best stud cast year so far. I can't wait for next week. Listen, folks, on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind is where you find everything. Ron Fuller Welch, everything plus Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV wrestling shows. 
Go there to subscribe, ring the bell icon on YouTube, and you are on board the fastest growing old school YouTube channel anywhere. Every time something new is added to the channel, we will ring your bell. On Facebook, please do not friend request the stud on his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It's crazy that we're saying that, but it has a maximum of 5,000 fans and the fire marshal came in and said, stop it. That's okay. So it's been full for years. To become friends with, with Ron on Facebook, go to either his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud, or Ron Fuller Welch author page. Like him, follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend that way. All three Facebook pages get the same post and information, so it doesn't matter which one you're on. You're not going to miss anything. On Twitter... Follow him as Ron Fuller Welch. Find everything on his website, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Studcast, they're all there. All the super studcasts are there. His stud store, souvenirs of all kinds, including his tremendous novel, Brutus. Great match videos, DVD sets, a fantastic photo, photo gallery, and so much more. Even t-shirts and even the actual mask that the stud wore. Replicas are available at tnstud.com. All right, stud, that's a lot that's going on. So you got to stay back in the saddle and keep up with it. So where do we ride next week? Well, we're going to try to lay the money down, man. Next week's today's training. In fact, we are going to lay the money down, man. And fans are going to get the inside scoop. Something never done on normal podcasts. I can tell you very few of them will ever talk about the money. We're going to talk about the money next week uh, because I want to lay the foundation here for this establishing of Pensacola as a tremendous territory. And uh, I want to take the fans on the true ride with me the entire way. So something, uh, you know, fans are going to find out how much money was paid and how it was going to be paid out and uh, for southeastern Pensacola by me and by my new partners, who I've already discussed, my brother, uh, Jimmy Golden, Roy Lee Welch, and Bob Armstrong. So we'll break down the next big southeastern Knoxville Coliseum show uh, where Joe LaDuke and Ronnie Garvin are going to wrestle this time for the $10,000 battle royal money that Gar Garvin left the ring with. Uh, and uh, this time we're going to find out who's going to walk out with the whole 10000 So uh, Tony Charles uh, experiences his first Texas death match ever. He's going to wrestle against his Texan uh, foe man uh, for all these world junior title matches, Nelson Royal. They're wrestling in a Texas death match. Mm. Should be a great one. Uh, we'll begin the discussion of who's going to be a good fit to go down and wrestle in the rings of southeastern Pensacola and who's going to be there for that company's opening night. And uh, we'll answer another great learning tree question from a fan and lots more. And obviously, I want to thank everybody, man, for joining us again in January of, not, of 2022. Uh, we're going to be talking about 1970-78, and this is going to be uh, by far, I think, the best stud cast year yet. Uh, please tell your friends and neighbors about us to take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all. Hey, God bless you too, Stud. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.